Hello and welcome to this month's episode of the Campaign Podcast, powered by Something Else, with me, Nikki Kemp. Today in the studio, we have Ali Hannan, the founder and CEO of Creative Equals, Nishma Robb, Ads Marketing Director at Google, and Serena Abassi, Head of Culture and Inclusion at MNC Saatchi. Today we are discussing the advertising industry's much-talked-about diversity problem. For an industry that aims to create culture cannot possibly achieve that lofty aim without adequately representing the true diversity of society, both in its creative work and organisational structures. Advertising has been phenomenally successful at perpetuating stereotypes, and it can be just as powerful in breaking them. Yet the fact remains that diversity and inclusion could currently be described as the industry's poorly funded, yet highly publicised, side hustle. Now, one of the themes we're going to come on to later is transparency. And with that in mind, I wanted to share one of the key reasons for this podcast happening. A couple of weeks ago, both Nishma and Serena were on a panel I hosted discussing diversity at Campaign's Media 360 conference in Brighton. A panel which was at the end of the day, which followed an all-male panel, or a manal, as it's also known. Nishma very rightly pointed this out, and said having designated panels to discuss diversity could in fact be counterproductive. So have we reached peak panel? But before I turn it over to you, I just wanted to say thank you, Nishma, for calling it out. For if no one speaks out, nothing changes. So are we channeling our energies into the wrong things? This is particularly of note today because it's the Monday after Cannes, so energies might be slightly limited. And are we guilty of perhaps preaching to the converted? So Nishma, could I kick off with you? Where are we on this journey? Have we have we got the right roadmap or have we lost the road altogether? I think, you know, first of all, well done to you for the bravery of actually agreeing to have this podcast. And also, I think the acknowledgement of not just yourselves, but many others about having these diversity panels. I think the frustration, which is what I was airing that day, is we are still at the point of talking about it and not actioning it. And I recognise that there are challenges in the action. And actually, maybe that's where we need to drive the conversation to be much more around what can be done. But I do worry, I do ever so much worry as I kind of reflect and I look at the data, whether it's in our own business or anywhere else, and I see this very, very slow crawl to change, is I do worry about the heart of businesses really being in this, in that has it been a case of setting up diversity programmes and initiatives and almost ticking that box of yes, we've done it and move on and then expressing a frustration when things don't quite change. And I think therefore, I think if my energy and all of our energies going forward, I think need to be far more pointed, far more directional and far more measurable in terms of everything we do from now on because I think the time for talking has moved on and in actual fact, I see in some places a bit more of a decline in behaviour and I'd like to see that turn around. Ali, could I bring you in here? Because obviously with the creative media quality standard, you're really measuring diversity properly within companies. And what we see sometimes is companies professing to be certain things which they are not statistically. I mean, where do you see that impacting the business? Well, I think to your point, Nishma, I think businesses have to live and breathe it. So when we go into company, we ask them the question that they have to ask themselves, which is if every time 
I saw a diverse and inclusive world at this company, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What kind of processes processes and practices would we have in place for our staff and our employees? And I think until companies actually live and breathe that ethos right at the core of their businesses, we won't see real change. Yes, we do see the data, and what we see through the data makes for quite uncomfortable reading a lot of the time. I think businesses have to be very brave and progressive and have the courage to really look deep into their hearts and inside to see what kind of biases and barriers are in place, particularly for different groups. I mean, across the board, we see about 1% to 2% of creative directors BAME women, which is just so low when you think about the representation of societies. Equally, we see very few disabled people employed. When it comes to age, only 5% of the industry is over 50. So again, with all these kind of diversity groups, what we see within companies is a real slow understanding of where they're at and what they really need to do to change, which is what we help them do, is get each and every one of them to really build a roadmap. And Serena, from your view from MNC Saatchi, like coming into a company and trying to drive the diversity and inclusion agenda across different markets... I mean, what do you see as the key stumbling points? I mean, what is it measurement or, or where do you see kind of meaningful change coming from? I actually want to touch on what Nishma said, and it's I think a lot of it is down to do people, do these companies necessarily really want change and what does that actually mean for the people that are there existing? Um, so something I've spoken about and actually I spoke about on the panel, Media 360, is this idea of dispossession. So I think a lot of people are so fearful of inviting and creating space for the new because it makes them question, will I have less? Will I lose my position of power if I create space? And something that I've spoken about on many, many panels where I just feel we need to literally operate from a place of abundance. If we can't think abundantly where we are in, you know, one of the richest regions of the world, where can we? I often find it interesting, more on panels when you're talking about diversity, you end up getting a lot of questions, also get a lot of feedback from articles that I've written that said you keep going on about gender equality, but what about ageism? What about class? And bringing in how people are speaking, making assumptions about people and assuming that if the slice of the cake is going to gender equality, a smaller slice of the cake is going to ageism. When I tend to see it more as you open the door to one thing and you start expands from there and you see lots of different experiences and intersectionality. And I just wondered what you thought what you thought of that. I absolutely love the quote by activist educator Tony Porter and he says that my liberation as a man is tied to your liberation as a woman and I think that's true for every single characteristic whether it's race, whether it's class and going back to intersectionality I think we need to start unpacking how say my experience of the world as a woman of colour, as a queer woman, and how all these things compound each other, how that stops me from having as easier access to a space to say someone like you, for instance, a white woman, for instance. And they are all linked. You can't, they're all inextricably linked. They can't be kind of separated out. And how do we move that on from an industry perspective? Nishma, I'd love to get your view on this. Like, How do we kind of create that sense of openness 
obviously has to start with the teams and I absolutely think it's really you're, you're absolutely clear on this point and I agree I think one of my observations has been actually that to your point you know actually opening up conversations around gender diversity has certainly helped open up the conversation about diversity in its broader sense but I do and have spoken to to many other women about this actually a concern around it's actually still suits white privileged women more so than others and actually the numbers attest to this as well so I think for me I think the kind of at at the first at the worker level you know employees at culture at businesses it is actually about much broader conversation about inclusivity and culture and I have said several times my concerns about diversity is it leads to tick boxing it doesn't actually lead to meaningful change or ownership you know a sense that actually everyone irrespective of male female white or otherwise young or old actually it's everyone's responsibility and that is reflected in the work because ultimately great advertising great creative is what changes people's minds and i'd love to see more work to be more reflective of some of the changes i think we can happen and drive but also there's now such a body of evidence to prove that advertising that's more reflective of reality works and I think until we see that more in agencies, there will be, it will become a deciding factor. And thanks to Ali's involvement with you guys in terms of the school reports and that kite mark, I actually think that's going to be a real forcing function going forward. Because where we are today in terms of the conversations that we're having around diversity and I, picking up on your point as well about having a very white privileged version of diversity that we're talking about, are we rewarding the idea of change rather than change itself? So we've had a lot of high-profile announcements in Cannes, but perhaps not the real shift to a a real kind of broad view of diversity. Yeah, some of the announcements that have come out of Cannes for me are often just around initiatives, like, of course, Ogilvy has come out and said they're going to hire 20 women into senior creative roles across the globe. Now, Again, to your point, Nishma, that has to include everybody, not just privileged white women. So I think actually, really, if they're looking at their diversity drive as a whole, it doesn't, it shouldn't just be about women. So I think actually, again, it feels like just a small change. It has to be structural. It has to be intrinsic. It has to be looking at the whole system around it, not just one little tiny piece of it here. But of course, you know, getting people up into, uh, diverse people up into leadership roles is absolutely key and critical. I've just finished a really brilliant book actually called Culture Code by a guy called Daniel Coyle. And when I started reading it with a diversity filter on it, I thought it was really interesting because in the book, he talks about three tenets for cultures to thrive. One of them is, am I safe? And I think in terms of diversity, that's free from discrimination and sexual harassment. So am I safe? Am I connected? So when I come into this space, do I feel included? Critical point. And number three, is there a future here for me? So again, when I look up and I look around, are there those role models that, that are there in place that I can see leading and that pave the way for my future here at this company? So am I safe? Am I connected? And is there a future? I think if every business started asking themselves that question or those three questions, then we would start to see a huge cultural shift within businesses. And how do we create that environment? Because I'm very aware that we talk a lot, whether it's about gender 
or ethnicity or sexual orientation about bringing those people into the workplace, making them feel comfortable. But then sometimes when it comes to it, we're not able to change the workplace in order to accommodate them. There seems to be sort of an action gap in some of those instances. Serena, I mean, what what do you see as the kind of key things from a corporate culture and tangible actions that could be taken by organisations to drive this forward? I think before we even get to tangible actions, I think going to the points that have been made, I think there's so much shame that sits around talking about class, talking about race, around these subjects. And I think that's also why people just don't want to talk about them. And how do we remove that shame? Because I'm, a v- I'm very aware at the moment there's, there's sort of these two competing trends that I see, this fantastic recognition of the power of advertising to challenge gender stereotypes and other stereotypes, which I think is such an amazing, creative fireball. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, that's such a great opportunity. But at the same time, the people that are often not in positions of power, that are publicly putting themselves on the line to criticise or call out bad behaviour, casual sexism, toxic working cultures, those people are being shamed. They're not celebrated. How can we take that shame away and, and celebrate those people? Because if nobody speaks up, nothing changes. We must honour and celebrate everybody who speaks up because the, it is difficult to be sometimes the lone voice in a room. I think particularly in the workplace, it can be uncomfortable to call things out. And I think we need to have our big ears on as well and just listen when that happens. We have to create cultures where people can say, hey, look, that work is not right. Have we really thought about flipping those characters around in that piece of work? But equally, we have to have leaders that listen with their big ears on and actually listen to what's coming from their teams and what different people are saying because you can have voices in the room that are pointing these things out, but unless they're actually taken into account and listened to, then again, change won't happen. So we must speak up to make change happen, but equally we must listen and then make the changes as a consequence. I, I think the UK industries, though, we're so almost incestuous, if I'm honest, you know, which is in the one hand, it works brilliantly because it's such a wonderful, tight community of people. But I do worry sometimes, you know, we haven't had our kind of Me Too moment in the way that I would say the US particularly have had and I'm not sure we ever will and I know there was a movement at one stage to talk about actually I can't remember the phrase they used but the idea was draw a line under it we won't talk about what happened in the past but let's move on which is an interesting way to kind of view it if you haven't been someone who's been subjected to that which is quite hard to sometimes draw a line and move on from it and we don't want a witch hunt we don't want to destroy our, our wonderful community and industry but I do think actually the power of voices and that psychological safety to be able to say I'm not comfortable, this isn't great, or where does it happen, has to come. And it has to come from those that are brave and are affected and and feel that they're supported by wonderful people like Ali or Serena, myself and you, you know, many others that are there to kind of be there championing it. But I do worry sometimes that it sits under the surface because it is such a tightly controlled industry led by a few. I mean, we had a story that we ran earlier this year, which was female creative who had left the industry And it was a a really harrowing tale of gender-based bullying and sexual harassment. And she undenied for a long time over writing it. She anonymised it. It was no points were scored by this woman. And I actually received an email from another woman in the industry saying, we need to tell the other side of this story because, you know, it's what makes the ad industry fun, a bit of slap and tickle. And the idea of a woman 
telling the other side of a story that was never hers to tell in the first place, it it really stuck with me. I thought this is such a little example of of why we're not respecting each other or each other's experiences. And how can we... And I'm aware that I'm sat in a room of progressive thinkers, but for people who are saying, this isn't a problem, this doesn't matter, this is not on my radar, how do we kind of puncture that that bubble and, and get in? Because I, I'm not sure if I know the answer to that. I, I think one of the first things is you need more voices. So part of the problem is we're all typecast. I did have a, a hilarious moment last week at Cannes where someone said to me when I was enjoying myself on the dance floor and someone said to me gosh you know you're so much fun I thought you were all just about banging on about diversity which I did kind of think <laughs> well is that kind of the perception of people who care passionately about equality and kindness and humanity but I do think actually there are many voices of people who are white privileged men let's start with them who actually do care about change and actually they can help to start to bring some more credibility or conversation that's broader than just kind of our voices shouting up to it. Because I do think, yeah, you, I mean, it's terribly sad to think that someone has to kind of offer an alternative view. And I think partly that's because there is shame, there is a lack of conversation around this. So therefore, there are few and very lone voices that's quite terrifying to step forward and, and do this. I think in any situation, it's quite a scary place to go. But I think when there are so few voices... And when those voices are those that are visibly diverse, it makes it harder. And so my point would always be to say the allies that are out there need to get noisy. They need to get far more demanding and and really kind of be slapping the table and saying, right, we need to change this because they will have a powerful voice here. One of the things I think particularly in British culture is there's a real stiff upper lip, code of silence mentality. Oh, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to just brush it under the carpet. And so when someone does speak up, we need to have everybody, the weight of the industry or the weight of many voices behind those voices. Because I'm also really conscious and I hear that there's a lot of NDAs that get signed. So in fact, voices that could speak up are also effectively being silenced. And I think when the Times Up research comes comes out, it'll be interesting to see what the response to that is if actually the industry will move into a, a Me Too moment off the back of that research. But again, it takes many voices speaking up together to create change. I think to your point equally, you know, we, we do want to be to attract people to the industry. And, you know, obviously we have huge issues to overcome. So sometimes I see with the talk around diversity and the, oh, but we need to focus on the fact that we need to attract this diverse talent. To do that, we actually need to make some changes so the two things aren't aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I know you've um, been at Cannes doing a lot of stuff with young people this week. I mean, what do you see in terms of better attracting a more diverse range of talent? How, how do we do that? Do you know what was amazing? So we, we ran this Google Creative Campus last week. So we had about 45 uh, young people from all around the world who uh, passed this campus and I, and I had the opportunity to speak to all of them. And I think what really bowled me over, which I think is almost a warning to the industry, is these young folk know what they want. They are smarter and bolder and braver at that age than anyone 
I would call into question in this industry in a position of power today was their age. And I think for me that is the biggest warning sign you can say to the industry that if you don't get your shit together, these young people are coming and they will pick the businesses that are there because they know what they want. They are attractive by the opportunity to make real change. Now, whether that's social change, business change, change the way that we do, they see the power of creativity. They see their drive and purpose. And they will pick, they were asking me questions about how do I pick between one organisation and another? For this is what I want to do. How do I measure them? At the age of 20, I might have been faced down a tequila. I definitely wasn't thinking about how would I do this? And I think this is their ability, their strength, their, their sense of values are so strong that they're they are attractive. I think Brilliant Talent is still attractive to this industry. We have to do more work to continue to find and and educate people on the opportunities that are available. But actually, I think great talent is there. It's really now going to be whether the company's going to attract them sufficiently. Because I wonder how that links to bringing diversity to the centre of business. If you take a business like PricewaterhouseCoopers and you look at how they've fundamentally re-engineered their business, 96% of their staff work flexibly. And you compare that with your average advertising agency, long hours culture, a lot of presenteeism, a lot of women not coming back after they have children. I mean, there's this huge gulf. But yet when you ask agencies what differentiates them from the consultancies, they say it's the culture. So why aren't they investing in the culture? I think it's a huge one, particularly when it comes to flexible working, because what we see through our data is you can have a company that's got the most amazing, you know, this is on agency side, you know, they'll all have an amazing flexible working policy. But if your leaders aren't role modelling flexible working, and if you don't have flexible working tools uh, within the business, then people aren't going to uptake it equally. A lot of people see that it's going to damage their careers if they work flexibly, because they think that they're not going to be given the pitches or key assignments. Um, so they, they won't uptake it because they think it's going to damage their careers and equally we'll see that they're working a lot of overtime. So you can have a wonderful flexible working policy but unless it's actually in action and in play within a business, it doesn't really exist. And I think that's one great thing that PwC have done is they've actually, you know, they, they live and breathe their flexible working culture. I'm sure it's taken, you know, I've, you can't just... It, it takes time to actually embed that with the system within a business. But I think a lot of agencies are a long way from doing that. And how ready for that change do you think the industry is, Serena? I think there... I, I, suppose, I suppose it would be kind of like individual businesses, really. But I think once it starts affecting their bottom line, for me, a marker of success would be the more diverse our actual clients are, I feel that will be representative of how diverse our teams are. So we have an intelligence department over at MNC Saatchi Group and I was like, I know for sure that if you're black, Asian, minority, ethnic, there are certain careers that you're not pushed towards. And I know the advertising industry, marketing industry definitely isn't one of them. But obviously, I just needed this to be supported with data. So they found some data for me. And the data suggests if you're black, Asian, minority, ethnic, you're three times more likely to fill the need to fulfill your parents' expectations. So, you know, you think of some communities, their parents even choose who they get married to, right? And then if you're black, Asian, minority, ethnic, you're twice as likely to go towards medicine. So what we're doing is we've decided to educate the parents on this. So we're actually going to have an open evening. So we've also partnered with the Mayor of London Fund where they're going to be helping us access diverse talent within our kind of local area we'll invite them in for the day and then off the back of that for the evening we'll then invite the parents of the children that came in the day 
where we'll show them all the different things that they could possibly be within our industry, from strategy to, you know, being an ECD. So I just wanted to finish on a question that actually, it was something that Suleiman Khan, the founder and chief purpose officer of Disability, said on the panel at Media360. He said that we all need to ask ourselves as individuals, what can I do as an individual, whatever level I am in a business, to drive change and to make the industry better? Could I ask you all to answer his question? I would say, I think beyond the things I do, which are kind of the obvious stuff, I feel that my ability to call out, perhaps, and be the voice for those that are not brave enough or don't feel that they're being heard, is I see it's my responsibility to make sure I do that, which might ruffle a few feathers and it may upset a few, but I think I have to be the person who will be bold and brave enough to stand up and call it out. Keep ruffling the feathers. Keep ruffling those feathers. (laughs) Ali? I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think speaking up at every single occasion, whenever we possibly can, and supporting the voices that do as well. So giving them backing, uh, giving them support, and then actually gathering support if they need help is really key. Um, I suppose it would be to, I, mean, I think we've kind of spoke about this earlier on in the conversation, but I think it's essentially being willing to kind of step out of the echo chamber. I think too many of us are just speaking to each other. And I think actually, if we're really committed to real progress, we need to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations with people that have completely different polar opposite views to us. I sincerely believe that change is about creating and being proximate to people that are completely different. And I think most cases, we're just, we surround ourselves with people that have exactly the same views as us. And I think if we're really committed to change, I think it's about us actually surrounding ourselves with people that think completely differently to us. So they can actually have an opportunity to meet someone who they wouldn't necessarily choose to associate themselves with and I think that's how change happens it's about us literally coming closer to and closer together and hopefully yeah that's such a good point because it always <laughs> feels like change is like this moment in time yeah and it's not it's a sort of continual push and a continual kind of conversation and I want to thank you all because you're all people that are involved in that ongoing push and all the energy and time and emotional investment that that requires. So thank you very much. That's all we've got time for this month. So all that remains is for me to thank our wonderful guests. Ali Hannan, the founder and CEO of Creative Equals. Nishma Rob, Ads Marketing Director at Google. And Serena Abassi, Head of Culture and Inclusion at MNC Saatchi. Thanks to my producer, Laura Hyde. The campaign podcast is powered by something else.